in my study here in the building, I have a uh, painting of Chinese calligraphy framed and hanging on the wall. It was given to me by a very dear friend, a dear older man who knew about the year that I had taught English in China. And my friend's parents had been missionaries in China in the years before Mao Zedong and the Communist Party took over and uh, then forced all foreigners to leave mainland China in 1949. His parents, my friend's parents, had lived and served in a small village in central China for their whole married life. And my friend was born in that village. However, in all their years of ministering in that village, when his parents and he had to leave in 1949, not a single person in the village would have identified themselves as a follower of Christ. After China reopened its borders in 1979, so 30 years later, sometime shortly after that, my friend went back to visit the village that he had been born in and his parents had worked in. To his surprise, almost everyone in that village identified as followers of Christ. But his parents had died years before he found out, found out about this. They died never having seen any of their work come to fruition. Someone in the village gave the calligraphy to my friend and he later passed it on to me. And so I hung it on the wall in my office for a few reasons. One is that it's a beautiful work of art in and of itself. Two, it reminds me of my time in China. But I also hung it there because it reminds me that we may never see the results of our work in life. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth doing and fruit won't come from it. I've been thinking about that story a lot this week because of our final text from the book of Deuteronomy. With these closing verses, the entire saga and drama of Moses's life comes to a close. And it too is bittersweet. He has been through decades of trials and tribulations with the people of God, especially as they moved out of slavery in Egypt to the edge of the promised land. Moses has earned a very rarely used title in the scriptures, the servant of God. He has essentially given his life to God and to the people of God, and yet he never gets, that was for emphasis, he never gets to dwell in the promised land with the people. These closing verses of the book remind us that we too may never see the hopes of our lifetimes fulfilled. And yet, we live in full trust 
that the God we hope in will fulfill them one day. Moses at least gets to see the promised land from a distance. We heard that, that God took him up to, or he went up to Mount Nebo, and from the the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho, across the Jordan River, there the Lord showed him the whole land. And physically, it's not possible even from the top of that mountain to see everything that's described here, but you get the idea of he could look as far as he could in certain directions, and all of that land and beyond what he could see even was going to be the land in which the people of God dwelt. And we hear that God says to him in verse 4, this is the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that I promised, the promised land. I will give it to your descendants. And here it is. It's about to happen. I have let you see it with your eyes, God says, but then the kicker, you will not cross over into it. Now, there are a few different reasons why Moses doesn't get to see uh, or get to dwell in the land and cross over the Jordan into it. But that's not the point uh, for us this morning. The point this morning is that he had been working his whole life for this moment when the people entered the land And yet, for him, it ends just beyond his reach and just beyond his own experience. We hear that in verse 5, Moses, the servant of the Lord, that's that designation, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. And he was buried there in Moab. This is all the more poignant when we hear in verse 7 that he was 120 years old. 120 years old is significant, not merely because it was an unusually long time to live, but maybe even more so because at the time, a generation was considered to be 40 years. So Moses had been alive through three generations and had led Israel through its most foundational experiences. And then his life comes to an end so short, so close, but short of his life's goal. Daryl Block, a professor from Wheaton, sums up these closing verses this way. For 33 chapters, readers have been listening in on a sacred event as Israel's pastor has been preparing his congregation for life in the promised land. The gospel according to Moses has been rich in grace The gift of salvation, free and undeserved. The gift of covenant, personal and intimate. The gift of revelation, profound and unparalleled. The gift of providence, patient and loving. The gift of a home over the Jordan about to be delivered into their hands. They have heard Moses expound on these themes with eloquence, sing of them with passion, and apply them with enthusiasm. And then, in chapter 34, that voice is silenced. 
But there's a very significant reason that it's silenced. There is purpose in God's people moving on without Moses. Again, from Daryl Block. The narrator reminds the readers that the book as a whole is not about Moses. It is about the people's relationship to God. Human leaders come and go. The question will be, will God's people be true to the eternal God? Will they allow God to lead them, not only in campaigns of conquest under Joshua, but also in paths of righteousness wherever they settle and live? The journey is not over until they are home spiritually as well as physically. The account of the death and burial of Moses on the mountain forces the reader, forces us to ask, now what? The answer lies in the recognition that in the end, Israel's fate is not in the hands of Moses. Moses is not the one who actually brought them out of Egypt and sustained them through the desert wanderings. And Moses will not complete the mission by delivering the promised land into their hands. Like Moses, I believe that we are in a moment of time when we need to be reminded that we may not be the people who lead our present society into the promised land. I know that there are many of us who desperately want to see our country change from what it has been into a land of peace and justice. A land where all those who have been oppressed and abused are comforted, healed, and given back all that has been stolen from them. A land where all children are fed, sheltered, educated, where everyone truly has an equal start to life and a land where all people are treated with compassion and cared for. Like I was saying with the kid, kids, every week we pray that God's kingdom will come to this earth, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know that for many of us, this is the ultimate desire of our lives, that this would be so. However, as Moses learned, we may not see our deepest hopes fulfilled in our lifetimes. And again, throughout this week, I, I've been thinking of Martin Luther King's dream that he shared and how he had been to a mountaintop and seen a vision of what it might look like with God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But Dr. King never got to see that fulfilled in his lifetime. And I know that right now, some of us are weary. I know that some of us don't even want to imagine what will happen to our country if Trump is elected again. But we need to know it might happen. And then what? Well, then we continue to do everything in our power to make things on earth as they are in heaven. 
knowing that God wants this even more than we do. And God will make it happen someday. In fact, we are able to have as much confidence in this truth as Moses because we carry the additional assurance of Christ within us. And in Christ's closing words to his disciples in Matthew's gospel are just as significant and directed to us as they were to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. So Jesus says, go, disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And it may not come to full fruition in your lifetime, but I am with you always to the very end of the age. Knowing that we ourselves will never save the world allows us to do what we can with all of our mind, our strength, and our will. Another thing that I keep in my office is a quote from Salvadoran Bishop Oscar Romero. I find it encouraging and beautiful, and it is along these lines. Bishop Romero writes, It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us, just like the promised land for Moses. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and do it very well. It may be incomplete, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. We may never see our deepest hopes fulfilled in our lifetimes. But God will fulfill them someday, no matter what comes in the next several months and years. As we continue to face 
the pandemic and the devastating impact it has on lives and health and the economy. As we continue to face the fight for reparations, equality, and even safety for our sisters and brothers who are black, indigenous, and people of color. As we continue to face a corrupt and criminal power structure attempting to break all resistance to it, we need to realize that things may get even worse. But Paul reminds us why we keep working towards the day when all things will be well. Here again, Paul's encouragement. Love never dies. Everything else will be over someday. We don't see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing God directly just as God knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. This is what we do. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. Amen.